You're listening to Listen More with Paige Crystal Wilcox. This is a podcast where I speak with people from around the world who offer their insights and reflections on media depictions. Something that is very important for this podcast is to allow them to introduce themselves in a way that they see fit. Without further ado, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Of course. Thank you, Paige, so much. Hi, my name is Elyon Morden Kitchhaven. I'm uh, speaking to you from Los Angeles. I've been in the entertainment industry, let's just say more than 30 years. Uh, most recently, I was the executive director in Los Angeles for Screen Actors Guild, AFTRA, which is the largest performers union. Basically, they represent everyone who is in front of a camera and behind a microphone. I've worked in, so besides that, I've also worked in various facets of the industry during my career. I've worked in pre-production, production, post-production, distribution, marketing, new media, new technologies in every platform. And I continue to grow and educate myself and what's happening in the world. And it's very exciting. Very, very exciting what's been happening in the entertainment industry, especially in the last decade. I appreciate that there has been so much advocacy in the background that is not necessarily known about or acknowledged for this episode. I think it would be great if we sidestep and talk a little bit about that advocacy and what has gone on there. You know, it's interesting because when I was an executive working on the other side, working for film and television production, The scripts came in, but I don't know that there was particular attention paid, and this is prior to 2000, um, attention paid intentionally to diversity. I think it was there, reflected. You always wanted to have interesting characters, but I don't know that it truly focused. It certainly wasn't on my mind, per se. As an executive, I was working in marketing and, and publicity and strategic alliances for these companies. Just to be clear, these were fairly large film and television companies. The film companies I worked for, uh, they won the Academy Award for The Last Emperor, which of course had diversity in it. And they also produced Platoon, Terminator. It was called Hemdale Films, um, Hoosiers. And then the other company I worked for, I worked on mostly foreign language films that won awards, uh, Oscars. It was The Secret of Roninish and The Scent of Green Papaya. So certainly those were films that were done outside the United States. When I came to Screen Actors Guild in 2000, I started in their market as the chief marketing officer. And that's when I really became aware of the importance of diversity efforts and, and the, how the conversations had actually been going on for quite a long time about having realistic portrayals on the screen with the thought process behind it. And this was working not only with performers, but with writers and directors and producers, um, these conversations with the thought really being, if you can see it, you can be it. So if you saw a television show where you would see perhaps a person of color being the doctor, as opposed to, I'm going to be very um, pejorative, but as opposed to being the janitor, well, if they were the doctor and the half chief of surgeon, well, then that child or that teenager or that college student sitting at home may be more inclined to go to medical school. They would say, hey, that's me on there. Because it is what you spend so much time looking at programming that you do want to have a realistic portrayal um, or at least to make, make efforts. And that that's actually part of the 
collective bargaining language. When you're with a union, the union itself, for in case you don't know, they they their agreements for film and television. There's a collective bargaining book which is inches and inches thick. It was very very heavy. It goes over decades of negotiation. And Screen Actors Guild was one of the first un- unions to have language in their contract citing the need for diversity that actually has a clause in there that producers need to make best efforts to portray the American scene. Of course, best efforts is arguable what that is. But what was interesting also in their lower agreements, like for independent films, which maybe they're not doing with the big studios, they were actually built in incentives for having a diverse cast. And when we talk about diversity in these agreements, we're not just talking about people of color. You're talking about persons with disabilities, seniors, LGBTQ, you're talking about true diversity, again, to reflect what we see in our daily lives. So I spent years advocating, sitting on panels, working in that, you know, a lot of it doing also with women, you know, um, women over 40, especially, it's hard to see, you know, in front of and behind the camera, there just wasn't a lot of women in those roles 20, 25 years ago. Before we started recording, you were mentioning a few specific women who have really been instrumental in some of the change that we're seeing today for women in front of and behind the camera. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? I had the opportunity to work very closely with Gina Davis on her gender media and and She's done a lot of work in this area, not only her, but there have been real champions in this area of realizing the need for not only the quantity of how many women you see, but the quality of the roles. A lot of it has to do either with ageism or even to pictures of body type and how important that is. Gina's work specifically focuses on, she actually counts the number of roles. And she actually did a study where she was counting roles and how many males and females and and, um, even in background. She was doing that. Whereas on the other other side in recent years, Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern and, and other women who are of a certain age over 40 have recognized that the opportunities and the roles for women just weren't there. There wasn't enough opportunities. So what um, Reese Witherspoon did is with a partner, she created Hello Sunshine Production and she went ahead and started producing. She would find material and actually start producing great movies and television programming for women and great roles. And I think that that has really um, moved the needle quite a bit and brought a spotlight on the issue. Laura Dern also talks about it. I mean, she has, Laura is a friend of mine, so we, we happen to chat about this, but, but there's been, there is a wonderful professor over at USC named Stacy Smith, who is just brilliant. And she has actually done reports and years, decades of work researching the number of roles for women, not only in front of the camera, but also behind the camera, on the, behind the scenes, and actually doing numerical data that would show. So it's not just anecdotal, it's actually data that would show and prove the the theory or the premise, I guess it's not a theory. It really is a premise that there needs to be more avenues, more pathway for women, and there has to be more acceptance and they need access to these roles. And I think that while there's still a lot of work to do, I mean, we're still having these conversations 20 years later. I think that the needle has really shifted a little bit. I think that there's more of an acceptance. I mean, you see it, anybody who watches television or film can see that things shifted. I mean, Marvel Comics would no more think about doing a film 
with a female lead role and yet look at what they've done. You know, um, it's not only Marvel, but Marvel and DC Comics, you know, no one would think 20 years ago that you would see an entire movie about a female heroine. So I think it's wonderful that they've recognized and they're really, that people want to see this, not only women, but men want to see it too. They want to see Black Widow. They want to see Captain Marvel. They want to see Wonder Woman, you know, and these are great, adventure movies you know it doesn't always have to be with the women in the lead being these heavy dramas you know although those are wonderful and juicy too and i would never ever want to see those go away because that's that's my sweet spot but you know you see you see a difference in in so you you see a slight sea shift you know and and it goes against the grain to say well you know a woman can't carry a movie well look at the box office results sure sure they can you know, I, there is definitely an audience. So as you've been speaking, I've been thinking about a few things, specific things that I've seen in the past few years. When you mentioned Laura Dern, I was thinking about Marriage Story. I'm not f- sure if you're familiar with that, but that had some fantastic female characters in that. And as I watch more great female characters just in everyday things, I am realizing what has been missing. With Reese Witherspoon, I've been watching Morning Wars, which I think in the US is called The Morning Show. Morning Show, it's it's wonderful. Almost too intense to watch at times, but absolutely fantastic to see her and Jennifer Aniston up there and quite a range of what seem to be women over 40 in these really interesting roles and varied roles. It's, It's really wonderful to see. And with regard to Marvel, someone went and broke down every Marvel film and the number of minutes that different demographics spoke for. I think it's Stacey Smith. She's brilliant. She actually takes the time to sit there and count the number of minutes. Gina did this too in one of her studies. What was fascinating is, I think it was Gina that reported on this, but it might have been Stacey because they, they often speak together. And of course, with COVID, you kind of have COVID brain and things get foggy. But they were talking about what's so fascinating. It's not only that women have less minutes speaking, even though you may see them. They actually did a study where they were actually able to look at the footage. And when women spoke, they didn't have the camera on them. They had the camera on someone else. And that's kind of interesting. I never noticed it. But, you know, since they've mentioned that, I kind of have started to look for it. But I think that that's also really fascinating is is the amount of to break it down to get that deeper dive where you say how many minutes and how many pages do they have and how many lines do they have. So it's, it's very, very fascinating. I was reading about a big star who was talking about how many roles they missed out on because they were considered too old for the role where the lead, let's say the male was like in his sixties and they were probably 40 at the time, but no, but they ended up casting someone who's 30, which, you know, as someone who is, I'm just going to say it in their sixties, having children that are in their twenties and thirties, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like, Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, I, first of all, I don't know what the attraction would be. I'm like, what are you going to talk about? But it's more than that. It's also real. Is that realistic? Cause I don't look at it works for a lot of people. I'm not bashing it, but realistically, you don't see that too often. You typically see someone who is more mature with somebody who has the same kind of life experience that they do. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder about what seeing that repeated and repeated, what what that does to men, men who date women, whether it breeds any unhealthy 
unhealthy feelings of being hard done by or something that they're seeing this all the time, but their partner is their age and, you know, not as useful and beautiful. Puts a lot of pressure on all of us over 40, doesn't it? (laughs) I think that's why we're, you know, we're constantly trying to better ourselves, but you know, it's just, it's a cultural thing. It's a societal cultural thing. In terms of what character creators can do to do better by women, predominantly in film and television, because that's mostly what we're speaking about here, do you have any advice for how they might go about it? Well, you know, it's it's twofold. One, if you're a writer, I think it's really important to, if you're doing a contemporary piece, certainly look around you and, and keep your eyes open. And, and I think that that's what writers do. They write from their own experience. They write from their world. They write from the heart. You know, you, you write from what you know, most most writers. So I think that that's really important to see it. But I think that they also have to be intentional in the sense that if they really, if writers really want to do something to make the change, what they actually could do, and, and this is not original, I'm not the one who came up with this. Um, matter of fact, Gina Davis has done this. Is uh, She's the one who I heard say this, is when they have a crowd scene, actually put in parentheses, uh, a crowd appears, 50% of them are women. Or a crowd appears, lots of diversity, you know, a crowd appears, we see women, we see people of color, LGBTQ, people with disabilities, actually put it in the the instructions, in the, in the stuff in the parentheses, you know, on the sidelines, actually put it in there, be intentional. In terms of directors, also, you know, if you, if you don't see, get the shots, look for that kind of a thing, you know, work with the writers, see if there's a place where maybe you can put in someone who is a senior or a person with disability or LGBTQ or person of color to have to reflect the diversity, reflect the women, you know, during the casting process, you know, relate to your casting director. Hey, I want to see, you know, when you're reading a script, I want to see older women as well, you know, or, or, you know, get, get the full span. I think that that's on everyone's mind. And I think that casting directors also find it much more interesting to be able to have a wider net, you know, than just your typical, you know, whatever that mold looks like to you of what, what that person is supposed, quote, supposed to look like. I think the casting directors really embrace the challenge also of coming up with, and a lot of them have, I mean, you know, you read over, t- you've read multiple times where, where a role was written for a man and they ended up casting a woman. And it just gives a whole different kind of flavor to the whole piece and a whole different kind of tone and a different kind of culture. So it making it interesting when you're a performer, I think that you have to know it's, it's tricky. So you, I mean, first of all, I could never be a performer because no matter what you do, it's too much rejection, you know, and you're rejected for not on your talent, you know, not, you're just rejected because either the way you look or, or maybe you don't look like you fit into that family, or maybe you just had a bad day, or maybe you're really, really great, but you know, we've had that actor on before and we need to have them back again in that role, whatever the the circumstances. But I think that you have to know that there is a place for you. And I think it's really good to, if you know someone, you know, who is doing their own piece, whether it be even a small piece for the internet, you know, they're doing a webisode, they're doing a small piece, talk to someone who's creating that and suggest to them, hey, have you thought about switching it up? If, you know, have you thought about different, and I think that that's where you're seeing it. I think that, that there's a lot of it there. I also think that it's more on the minds. I think for diversity and shift change. I see it, for example, just with my, and again, my own sons, 
I mean, their friends are very diverse. They've got friends that grew up with two moms, two dads. You know, they got all kinds of friends where there's mixed marriages, you know, divorce marriages and mixed race and mixed culture and, you know, people. So they're seeing a lot more of it. So I don't know. I mean, I would hope that that'll become much more of an acceptance. But I think that there's opportunity for when you're a performer to really hone your craft, get that in there. You know, it's been really interesting what's been happening also with diversity with the theater. We've seen a lot of, I mean, just Hamilton alone was just very, very unique. And in that regard where, you know, here you'd always seen the founding fathers of only looking and talking a certain way. And then you get to see this whole wonderful, incredible play that personally, you know, you think about it, but you don't think about it because it's just that's, you know, it's the material that's really good. And that's really what it also evolves down to. The material has to be good. If it's not there on the page, you know, no matter what you do to it, it's not going to be good. So that's always really important. But there's a lot that you can do in small ways, in these small ways to kind of just start effectuating change. And I think that a lot of people have, I think, like I said, I think that the needle has moved a little bit, but that doesn't mean that there's not a lot more further we could go. Is there anything really pressing that you'd like to share with the audience uh, as final words or a take-home message? Well, as I'm calling from the United States, I think it's really important to know that what's fascinating while in t- in media, we're seeing a lot of push for diversity and cultural shift as a society. I think we've gone backwards quite a bit which is really a shame, especially in the last few years. I mean, there's always been racism. There's always been bigotry. There's always been homophobic people. There's always been anti-Semitism. But unfortunately, there now is a voice and a culture that's giving that voice to it. So it's an interesting contrast that I feel that we're seeing now in the United States personally. And this is just a personal opinion that we're seeing where on one side, we're seeing great push for diversity of acceptance and tolerance. And yet you're hearing things from elected officials that are anything but, and it's truly shocking. It's just shocking because you would hope that we would be advancing in sync. I will say again, as I said before, I would definitely love to have you back to talk from a slightly different perspective because I feel that you have so much to offer the audience. I really value what you have to say. Oh, well, thank you, Paige. And thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really been a wonderful pleasure. And I'd love to come back anytime you want to have me. Wonderful. You've been listening to Listen More with Paige Crystal Wilcox. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please head to my website www.pagecrystalwilcox.com and don't forget to subscribe and share.